Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Arizona State, 7.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium. Back to our normal schedule, 7.30 game time. Scott Eklund loves those late night games. He can go to all of his kids' soccer games and then do Husky football, get home at 3 a.m. and just get up at 6 a.m. the next morning with the kids. Uh, 7.30 starts, Scott. you got to be in heaven, dude. Not at all. Not at all. At all. But it is what it is, so you just learn to live with it. And the downside is it sucks getting out of there really late. But, hey, we get to watch college football all morning and all afternoon. So uh, mm-hmm. that'll be fun. But, you know, just to recap a little bit, we had a podcast, Chris, and uh, you'll uh, probably be a good idea to put the link on the one we did earlier this week at the bottom of this one. But uh, we talked a lot about just the uh, fallout for after the Oregon game. Michael Penix seems to be the media darling and leader for the Heisman Trophy. Oregon game just People still talking about that, but uh, do we still have a little bit of the Oregon hangover going on right now, Chris? Uh, in what way? What do you mean? I'm not hungover, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> it's just there seems to be more talk about the game last week than there is about the upcoming game. Oh, yeah. As far as fans and media and stuff, the, the, there's no storyline really uh, for this game against Oregon State tonight, other than the fact that Washington could completely blow their entire season up into smithereens if they lose. So no one wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to talk about the great thing that happened last Saturday at Husky Stadium, which was obviously Washington's win over number eight at the time, number eight, Oregon. And it was just one of those things where it was a magical thing, talking to some of the players this week about it. Um, it was really interesting. I talked to Drew Fowler and I talked to him about, you know, the the wide right thing and all that, because that's that's the play that everyone's going to remember. And he said specifically, I'm going to remember that play for the rest of my life. And I said, it's really fascinating because just a few years ago, you guys went through the exact same thing with Peyton Henry down in Eugene. He goes, yeah, guess who I saw on the field when when the fans stormed the field? I ran right into Peyton Henry. So it's just amazing how this this confluence of events and these things kind of uh, materialize to to create such a magical moment. And so everyone clearly wants to hang on to those things. And and the only thing that can happen tonight is if it if it if it all turns really sour real quick. But I just I don't expect that to happen. Yeah, Scott, just, you know, what have you seen this week? It's been just a lot of talk about Oregon, which is fine with me, by the way. It, yeah, it's it has been, but um, you know that that's for us. But when you when you went and talked to the players, when you went and talked to the coaches, it's been all about the process. Hey, twenty twenty four hours later, we were turning the page and and focusing on Arizona State. You know, this is a team that uh, the last team to beat us last year, and it's the team that you know basically made it so we couldn't go to the 
call uh the conference championship game and and then to the possibility of the college football playoffs so and and i you know i think it could be argued that washington was one of the hottest teams toward the end of the season last year so um i think that washington it, you know the players the, the fans and and the media are going to talk about oregon a lot because that was one of the most momentous games monumental games in program history but you know, the, for the players and the coaches, they've turned their focus to Arizona State, and I don't believe they're going to take it lightly at all, just like Fetter said. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they had the picture of last year's scoreboard up on the Washington scoreboard all week long. But I don't think it's going to be a lack of motivation after what happened last year. And if, if you recall, Scott, Washington was really shorthanded in the defensive secondary last year for Arizona State, and there was talk about moving some of the wide receivers over to play defensive back a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had Devon Banks, who was injured and still played in that game quite a bit. You had uh, Irvin um, and, you know, Julius Irvin, who was banged up all year, um, actually ended up having to retire after the season. And, um, you know, he played in that game or uh, Jordan Jordan uh, Perriman didn't play. Um, there were a bunch of guys who didn't play in that game. And, and I think Washington did a lot to address their, their defensive back depth, uh, during the off season. And I think that's shaken out and proved to be, uh, pretty good this year because of what they've been able to see from their, from their secondary, even when guys like Asa Turner had to go out and, or, and even when he returned, he, he has two clubs on his hands. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say too, real, real quick guys, when you talked about all those guys that didn't make it. We saw the development and the and the and a lot of playing time at that game down in Tempe of guys like Javon Parker, for instance. Um, Tristan Dunn played a lot in that game we hadn't seen, and now all of a sudden those guys have become real fixtures in the rotation, helping out in special teams. So you're starting to see that development development piece come into focus. But a year ago, it was as you as Scott was saying, it was kind of all hands on deck. They had they really were walking wounded in that in that game down at ASU. Yeah. Well, in addition, Herm Edwards, uh, I don't remember if he was just temporarily out or officially out, but Herm Edwards, they had a temporary coach in, in that game as well. So yeah, yeah, and, they had a lot of they had a lot of momentum going for him in terms of kind of backs against the wall, yeah. us versus the world, and. Um, you know, Washington, they just, you know, a lot of self-inflicted wounds like that, that pass off of Jackson Kirkland's head. When it, when is Michael Penix ever going to do that ever again in college or pro? Probably never. It's just some fluky things happen in the desert, a midday game where it's 100 degrees. It's just so many things kind of conspired against Washington that, that day. But the bottom line is they lost the game and they, they have no one to blame but themselves on it. And like you guys have said, you know, they don't, you know, no one really expects a letdown. Talk about that 24 hour rule and talking to Drew Fowler again about it. He goes, yeah, it's still 24 hour rule. The one thing about a game like the Oregon win is that it just makes coming back to Husky Stadium and coming back to the locker room even that much sweeter. And we just enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, Chris, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the, uh, you know, the conversation I had with uh, Chris Cartman from uh, Devil Source, the 24-7 site for Arizona State, but just talking about the off-the-field stuff with, uh, you know, the letting go of Herm Edwards, uh, Ray Anderson, the athletic director down there, instead of firing him for cause, buying him out to the tune of $4 million, um, Michael Crow, the president at the University of Arizona, just some of the wild stuff that's gone on down there. And we talked about with, uh, you know, for such a long time in the Pac-12, the president of 
Arizona State with um, Michael Crow and then the president, former president at Oregon State, Ed Ray. Those were the two who were closest to Larry Scott, and they were his biggest enablers. And how crazy that was to have the conference run by Arizona State and Oregon State. And it still just seems a mess down at Arizona State, except they do seem thrilled with the coaching hire of Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he's a guy. He's a guy that played at Arizona State. He's coming back home. He's from the area, so he gets it. He gets the culture. He gets what's needed. But it's gonna take a lot of time down there, and that's the unfortunate thing. And that's why we see, you know, Chris talking about you know fifty over fifty scholarship guys having to to be retooled on this new revamped roster that Dillingham's put together. And you look at the quarterbacks. I mean, it's an absolute mash unit. It has been all year. Jaden Rashada was the guy that was going to come in. The freshman, you know, had the big NIL thing at, at, at Miami and then Florida. And then, I mean, all that drama. And then he ends up at ASU and looks like he could be the big hope going into the season like they did with Jaden Daniels a few years ago. And then he gets hurt. And then Drew Pine, the Notre Dame guy, he gets hurt. Now it's it's ironically, it's back to the guy that had to replace the guy in last year's game that Washington lost the walk on Trenton Borgay is going to be Arizona State's quarterback tonight. I mean, that's the expected quarterback. So it's interesting how much things change. You get a whole new you get a whole new coaching staff, all whole new, basically a whole new roster full of players coming in from all over the country. And yet the guy that's going to lead them tonight at quarterback is the same walk on that led them to victory against Washington a year yep. ago. And Scott, as bad as Washington's secondary was beat up last year, kind of Arizona State's turn with uh, their linemen. They've got seven scholarship linemen that are going to suit, and all of them aren't healthy to the point where they moved the third-string defensive tackle over to play offensive line this week. Yeah, it's bad down there, and, and um, they weren't, you know, that beefy up front to begin with. You know, they, they weren't bad. They actually had a had a couple, um, you know, some nice guys, some nice pieces to work with up there. But, yeah, they're all injured. It, it just it's one of those things that you just you know, it seems like it's it goes in cycles for different schools. You know, Washington had their time last year, um, you know, a couple of years ago it was Washington State and a year year ago it was Arizona. You know, just all those all the injuries that just pile up on teams and it really exposes the lack of depth that teams have. Uh, with this 85-man scholarship, um, uh, you know, limit that they have, and and I get why they have it and all that different stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I just that it just it really puts a an onus on developing your depth, and and that's why Washington is in a is in a good spot right now. But uh, it can go out the window in a heartbeat if you don't uh, take care of it. Yeah, I think this is a game that, uh, you know, if you show up late, the game could be over by then. And not that Washington's going to sleep at Arizona State. I think they're going to come out on fire after last year's performance. But the 730 game, hey, Chris, we get a chance to see the LED lighting again. Well, not just get to see the LED lighting, but we get to see the LED lighting with a special new uniform combination that was unveiled earlier this week we got a chance to look at them and we didn't get a chance to actually look at the uniforms themselves because they weren't practicing in those uniforms but we did get to see the helmets and the helmets to me i don't know what you your guys' opinion of them are but i think they're phenomenal i think they are basically they're the purple chrome that they've used in the past with kind of the silhouetted w it kind of built in now it's like they have the 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 the, the up front gold w right plastered right on top of a, of a brilliant purple helmet 
uh, kind of in the old school style of Jim Lambright's teams, right? Except for this is like actual chrome instead of the flat purple. And I think I think they look amazing. Yeah. And also, in addition to uh, the debut of the new uniforms, which I really like, the chrome purple helmets with the big W and the uh, gold face masks. Husky Hall of Fame inductees. Looking forward to seeing a lot of those guys. Just a kind of a list of who's being inducted. It's going to be good to see some people. Ryan Brown, who was a track and field guy from 2003 to 2007. Ashley Charters from softball from 2005 to 2009. Husky, great. It's been it's kind of surprising. I thought he was already in. Steve Pelour will be inducted into the Husky Football Hall of Fame. Uh, great quarterback at Washington. Had a long NFL career. Mentioned earlier, Cody Pickett. It's always good to see Cody. And I haven't texted with Reggie Williams yet, but Reggie uh, last week said he was going to come up for that. One of your favorite, Chris Fetters, Paige McKenzie, women's golf team from 2001 to 2006. Jim Smith from the wrestling coach from 67 to 75. And then uh, the all-time great Isaiah Thomas will be inducted as well as one of the best volleyball players ever to be at University of Washington and Krista Van Zandt. But of that list, Chris, who are you most excited to see? Is it Paige McKenzie? Well, I got, you know, I have a soft spot for Paige McKenzie because bottom line is anytime you see someone that you cover collegiately end up representing their country like she did with the Walker Cup and the, or excuse me, not the Walker Cup, the Curtis Cup. Um, that's a, that's a huge honor. That's a massive honor. And she's also obviously one of the featured voices on the golf channel for anybody that is a fan of golf and golfs a lot. So you should, you should definitely, you, you probably see her a lot more of Paige McKenzie than I do nowadays, Kim. Well, I'll tell you the guy that I see quite a bit of, I got on him real bad, but we see Isaiah Thomas all the time in heck ed. He's always working out. And you know that sheepish grin he gets when he's done something wrong or messed up. You, You know, the grin I'm talking about, right? Yeah. He left the Oregon game five minutes early. With five minutes to go, he left, and he's shaking it. Yeah, I got my kids. We needed to get out of there. And he, he just goes shaking his head. God, that was dumb. <laughs> it was so I funny. Guarantee, I guarantee you he wasn't the only one, Kim. <laughs> I guarantee you there's probably a certain segment of that population that because right. of their logistics, because of their traffic concerns, because of where they live and what they need, you know, there's probably a bunch of people that have to try to get a, a certain ferry at a certain time, for instance. You just there's always going to be those people that have to leave early for whatever reason. Families, that's a big part of it, obviously. And But yeah, to, to be able to miss the end of that game. Wow. Yeah. You're always going to have regrets on that one for sure. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it Robbie Hummel, the basketball guy on Sirius um, from Purdue? Yeah, there. Yeah, Robbie Hummel from Purdue, sure. Yeah, when we were down at Basketball Media Day, he was just—I'm going off topic here a little bit—but uh, he was saying when they played um, Purdue, played UW down in Portland, you know, with Brockman and Isaiah, uh, Justin Holiday, um, and who else was on that team? Justin Holiday, Isaiah Thomas, John Brockman, and he said, "Who would knew? Who knew back then that Justin Holiday would have the longest NBA career?" Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, there, there's no question about that. I'm trying to think of if there was – that was after Spencer Hawes, right? Yeah, NBA was there. Matthew Bryan okay. Almaning, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he okay. was—he just says it's funny just to think back, but you know, back uh, back on football, that 7:30 start. Uh, Scott, what are you anticipating and seeing today? Well, you know, I I just think Washington. I I have a feeling um, there's two ways this could go. Really, I mean, Washington could get off to a slow start, have a you know have like a 21-3, 21-10 lead at halftime, and then they explode in the th- third quarter. But I I really think. 
I'm 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 expecting touchdowns on the first four drives uh, later today, and I I just I think Washington's going to be on fire. I think they're going to be you know ready to go. Uh, I think the coaches have these guys focused. I think Michael Penix will be dialed in pretty quickly. And uh, I think he's going to throw to Romo Udunze and and keep him right at the top of everybody's thoughts as the as the Bolitnikov uh, leader at this point in the season. And um, yeah, I I just I think Washington's going to get off to a quick start, and then I don't want to say coast, but I think you're going to see uh, in the second half you're going to see a lot of Dylan Morris and maybe even Austin Mack. We might see the debut of Austin Mack in in uh, for the Huskies. And Scott, health-wise, I'm expecting Jalen McMillan to take a couple weeks off. Yeah, I am too. And also Jeremy Bernard. I don't expect either of those guys to play today. No. Yeah, I don't know so much about Jeremy. It it didn't look that bad. But, uh, you know, health-wise, Chris, what are you seeing health-wise for this team? Well, yeah, I would would suspect all things considered, they probably wouldn't want to use those guys, even if they may be available. Now, Julius Bulow is a guy that did dress and did warm up against Oregon. So I fully expect that he'll be able to play now that he has another week behind him. Again, Asa Turner was full go, um, which is interesting because Vince Nunley didn't play at all against Oregon. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where, okay, you bring him back, but they were so focused on their core group of veteran defenders that they didn't use a guy that, you know, had a phenomenal game against Arizona down there before the bye week. So they're, again, building depth, doing those types of things. Inside, Tuli Latuli Gasanoa, he was he he played, I think, about 20 snaps or so against Oregon. People wondered if he was being limited because of that, and I think so. I think they were he was on probably a snap count a little bit, but I don't expect that to limit his availability tonight in terms of what he can do. And, um, you know, everybody else, I think, to be honest with you, because no one's 100%, even Michael Penix at this point with the cramps and everything else. Obviously, that got a little bit overblown postgame because a lot of people, myself included, thought that he was really suffering with some maybe potential rib type stuff, the way he was doubling down and really grimacing uh, on that one drive uh, near the end of the game. But, you know, overall, I think, you know, they're not necessarily as healthy as obviously everyone would want them to be. But when it comes down to it, they, they don't have so many injuries out there that they can't function at a very, very high level. And I, I still think that tonight, this feels to me, guys, more like a Boise State game than a California game. Like the Cal game, they were they had a 14-0 lead before the offense even hit the field. I, I, I don't have that feel about the game today. Yeah. But I do think that it's maybe more of a Boise State type game where maybe they get a three and out. They may even be down a touchdown sure. early, but they still scored 56 points in that game. So yeah. I don't think scoring the ball is going to be a problem. But I do think there may be psychologically or, or subconsciously maybe a slight hangover because of the uh, of the of all the things that have come about because of the Oregon game. Maybe a three and out early, but then again, like once they get yep. it rolling, guys, we've seen it time and yep. time again. They'll they'll roll. Yep. Also, just wanted to update. We talked a little bit about this on the podcast that we did on Wednesday. Uh, Coach Kalen DeBoer came up and um, he talked to me. It looks like he talked to each one of the news organizations that was there and addressing the Zach Durfee situation. And in case you missed it and. The whole Zach Durfee thing, I think some people are a little over their skis on, you know, what they're getting in Zach Durfee. I know they could use the depth there, but it's not like you've got a Jalen McMillan coming back or something like that. I think he's a good player. But, you know, when you're talking about Zach Durfee, 
they filed the they got denied their um, request to have him eligible. They filed the appeal. The appeal was denied. They appealed the appeal. It sounds like that was denied. And it sounds like Kalen DeBoer just wanted to be crystal clear. I think he's kind of pissed off on the whole thing and kind of wanted to make clear that, yeah, they're not done yet. So we still may see some movement on that. But first of all, I don't expect anything to happen on it. And even if he does become eligible, he's going to play. But I wouldn't be expecting him to come in and be an all-world guy. So I think some people are thinking he's going to be more than he will probably contribute if he you're does getting play. Him, you're getting him ready for next year Yeah, when that's you what, get him reps. That's what that's what you're doing by getting him reps. He's not – I don't think Zach Durfee is a guy who's needed this year from a depth standpoint – but you need to get him some snaps if you can. If, if, if you know if they they are able to win their appeal, and I think it's stupid that they should even have to appeal to all this. But um, if, if they win their appeal and he's able to play, you're getting him snaps this year, in anticipation of him being in the in the mix next year for either a starting spot or a, at the very least a uh, spot in the rotation. Yeah, and like I said, you know, uh, Coach DeBoer just wanted to let us know where the process was. And uh, it sounds like maybe when um, earlier in the week when he was asked by a member of the media about it, he was kind of concerned he wasn't clear enough. And I wasn't sure what that member of the media wrote, but evidently it wasn't as clear as he wanted to be. And hey, Chris, we've been dealing we've been dealing with we're on our eighth head coach. Caitlin DeBoer is unique. He's unicorn. He answers stuff. He's real um, engaging with us. Doesn't seem to be hiding much like a lot of coaches, but uh, he's a different cat than we're used to dealing with. Well, the, the first time I noticed it was the fact that he didn't necessarily just walk straight past us when we didn't have media availability with him at the time, whether it was you know last year's spring football or what have you he would always kind of pseudo linger like maybe he wanted to answer a question that we had. Cause we're always going to have questions of the head coach. I don't, I don't care if we're not supposed to speak for to him for a week, we're always going to have questions, right? I mean, that's just standard issue. And he will always just kind of linger and say, Hey, you know, what's up? What's, you know, what's happening? Like I remember 20 years ago when we would have our uh, media stuff with Keith Gilbertson, and the first thing that Gilby would do is he would bring up, hey, so what's going on in the world? Fill me in. Like he wanted to talk about everything but football. Yeah. Whereas DeBoer, he's into it and he and he wants to have a good relationship with the media. And I think it's um, he's fostered it in a real positive way. Just to just to finish up real quick on the on the stuff with Durfee, I, w- I want to push back a little bit, Kim, on what they should have expected from him. And, and I get your point of view and I get your reasoning totally makes sense that they would be really developing him for next year in mind, for sure. But I go back to 2020. I go back to the COVID year and how uh, Zion Tupola Fatui just exploded onto the scene. Going back, and if you guys can remember, did you guys ever see that coming from him? Like right away? No, I didn't. Multiple sacks, led the country in sacks per game, all this type of stuff. I'm not saying Zach Durfee could be ZTF, but could he have potentially had a ZTF like influence where all of a sudden he's that third guy. And now 
people don't they can't rely on just double teaming Braylon Trice or double teaming ZTF trying to take that edge play out of the game. Now all of a sudden they've got another guy because I thought guys honestly I thought Voy Tanufi was going to fill that role when it became pretty clear that Zach Durfee wasn't going to play. I haven't seen that much out of Voy, nope. not nearly as much as I thought I would. No, and like I said, I wouldn't anticipate him coming in and having I mean he played a South Dakota I mean he's not used to playing against us and the more he practices the more he's going to get used to that size but hey just wanted to remind you Chris remember when Tyrone when we'd have to meet with the media and sometimes he'd go for a run and make us wait an hour remember those days oh hell I remember when uh, <laughs> I remember when, when Nick Holt used to run around the track and he'd be kind of looking at us as he was going around the track and everyone's like yeah we gotta wait till Nick gets done with his running around the track before we talk to him yeah, a fun time. And then, and then when we got a chance to talk to him, it wasn't even that interesting. So I was like, great. <laughs> hey, uh, just also, hey Scott, Mike. Hey, Pettig. it was awesome, Chris. It was. Yeah. yeah well, every, yeah, everything with Nick was awesome. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah, I liked when his wife showed up in the purple boots. I said, "Where'd you get those?" And she says, "Oh, these are my old USC red boots. I spray painted them this morning." But um, uh, Michael with Nick's wife talking to her would have been a hell of a lot. She more was she was so fun. I love her. Julie was way more interesting than Nick. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott Michael Penix, it uh, sure seems as though he separated himself in the Heisman Trophy race, but uh, some of the radio guys were noting a year ago, Hendon Hooker was also the leader for the Heisman Heisman Trophy. Yeah, well, Hendon Hooker got hurt. If he hadn't yeah. gotten hurt and played like he was, he would have been the winner. So let's let's just hope that, knock on wood, Michael Penix, who has a history of being injured, uh, is able to stay healthy. But that being said, I mean, Caleb Williams was everybody's favorite to win the Heisman, even with the way Michael Penix was playing. But then uh, he goes out and and I don't want to say crap the bed, but he just didn't look very good versus uh, Notre Dame. Throw, throws three uh, early picks, basically gets uh, USC in a hole and they aren't able to get out of in a in, what was it? Forty eight, twenty, something like that. Lost to Notre Dame on the road just did not look very good and um, was and so Michael Penix has kind of vaulted himself into that top spot but guess who's right behind him I think it's Bo Nix I think Bo Nix is right behind him Bo Nix if if you just look at the stats Bo Nix outplayed Michael Penix in that game and and you know aside from a missed field goal he's the one who would probably be your your leading candidate uh, for the Heisman Trophy had had Oregon won that game. So 
Um, you know, there's a lot of there's still a lot of jockeying that's going to happen here over the next six weeks as as Washington and Oregon and, and these other schools wrap up their se- their regular seasons and then possibly get into a conference championship game. I mean, you could have the top two Heisman contenders if Washington and Oregon win out, which I think is possible for both teams. I don't think it's likely for either team, but I think it's I think it's very possible that both teams win win out the winner of their game in the conference championship game could be the one that decides who wins the Heisman trophy. So that's should, should that could put, put an even more emphasis on who ends up, uh, you know, into the hype to that game, if it does end up happening. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there's a lot of really talented players, but Michael Penix, I think has Kim, as you noted, started to separate himself from some other people. Yeah, the only thing that is the next couple of weeks with Arizona State with the late start, nobody on the East Coast is going to see it. And then the Stanford game, that'll be a blowout. So we may not see a lot of Michael Penix the next two weeks in the second half. So we'll see what that does. But that month of November, Chris, that month of November, that schedule after they're done with Stanford, that's a gauntlet. Well, for sure. And that's why if if you're on the Washington staff, ideally you're hoping you can get Michael Penix, his 300 yards, his two or three touchdowns, and then and then bench him and then basically give him some rest. Basically try to rest as many guys as you can because you're not going to get an opportunity to that to do any of that once Utah rolls around, once USC rolls around, once you know Oregon State rolls around, once Washington State rolls around. That's going to be a, a gauntlet that is is going to be as difficult as any uh, team out there in the country in terms of just strength of schedule in November. Um, and and I and I agree with Scott. There there's a good chance, and again, I think the chances of both Oregon and Washington winning all their games from here on out is is almost infinitesimal. It's it's never really happened before in terms of a Pac-12 team going undefeated in regular season. It's just that difficult. I mean, I've I've predicted that I think Washington will lose at Oregon State. I think that's a not safe bet, but I think that could likely happen considering how well Oregon State's playing and, and the atmosphere in Corvallis. It's not going to rival necessarily what we saw uh, between Oregon and Washington at Husky Stadium, but it is going to be plenty loud. And that chainsaw is super annoying. So, yeah, you know, I'm you've not... got all those things going on. And then, but I'll tell you what, Scott, you mentioned, you mentioned Bo Nix and, and, and Michael Penix Jr. and all that stuff. Don't forget the crafty lefty from Oklahoma. So Dylan Gabriel and, and Penix right now are kind of the, the one, two guys and both crafty lefties. I think, I don't know, it must be just a coincidence at this point. Yeah, I'm not as big on uh, Oregon State as you are, because I think as the season goes on, I think they've got good starters, but I think it's is what we see a lot of in college football once the season starts getting into that second half teams start wearing down i'm not sure that oregon state has the depth of a lot of other schools and the game that i would be more worried about that's on that schedule right now uh utah you know so uh we'll who's see who's gonna ha- be their quarterback that's the problem yeah as long as, as long as utah struggles at quarterback they're they're they are going to be a shell of what they should be there well, is no de- doubt their defense is amongst their defense is amongst the best in the country. If he was 100% healthy, Cam Rising was 100% healthy, this would be an absolute dogfight all the way. Utah would have probably, I don't know if they would have of the beaten Oregon State and Corvallis, but that's the thing guys, when you're playing two teams that are top 25 teams and you're playing them on the road, bottom line is I think I think Oregon State has the defense right now that USC does not. And that's why I think playing at Oregon State right now is tougher 
than playing at USC. Yeah. And Scott, we didn't get a chance to talk much earlier this week um, or after the Oregon game, but I wanted to touch base is just uh, recruiting fallout in the aftermath. Uh, talk a little bit about what's going on recruiting wise. So, well, as far as recruiting is concerned, the coaches are out at games and, you know, going out to see some some players, some local guys and things like that and watch some games and and still talking to kids. Um, you know, there there was a big contingent of recruits, 50 to 60 guys that are ones that are being heavily recruited. I, for those who aren't that initiated in recruiting, sometimes you'll have, I don't know, you know, 50, 60 guys, but only like 10 to 20 of them are ones that Washington's really looking at. The rest are just there with game tickets and, and, you know, just building goodwill with the, with the local ties. But that Oregon game had 60, 70 guys that Washington would, would take right now, you know, as, as far as guys that Washington really likes and is really hard after. So, um, you know, that it, it just, I mean, kids were blown away. If you saw what uh, Steve Wolfong put together with guys who were just blown away by what they saw. Greg Biggins, Blair Angulo, and Brandon Huffman have all published stories about guys from out of state that that they were blown away. I did reports on guys from um, the in the blog um, about guys who were really impressed with what they saw. So, um, you know, it definitely has given Washington some recruiting momentum. I didn't expect any commits out of the weekend, and that's what came to fruition. No commits out of the weekend, but I think Washington has set themselves up with some guys um, for 2025, put themselves right at the top of these guys' list. One guy is Dijon Lee, Dijon Lee out of uh, Southern California. He's a big-time cornerback, 6'3", 180 to 590 pounds, who Washington is doing really, really well with. Greg Biggins even said that he has him as his, uh, you know, Washington as the top school right now for him. Uh, Jackson Colick is a uh, high three, low four-star a quarterback um, that out of Southern California that, that I think was it might have been Greg Biggins that put in a crystal ball for him yes. at the University of Washington. So, um, you know, Washington did really, really well, got themselves in a really nice position with some of the younger guys. And then guys like Jericho Johnson, I think Washington's going to be in the mix all the way till the end. He's the top guy on their board, top uh, prospect out west that is not committed to a school. He's a defensive tackle out of Fairfield, I believe, at Fairfield High School. So Washington is doing really well with him. Bunch of commits that basically were just like, yep, this is why I came here. So, uh, you know, Washington is doing really well on the recruiting front. I know it's not coming to fruition with a lot of commits like maybe some people thought. I don't know why you would think that because I've been pretty upfront with people on the blogs. But, uh, you know, um, I think we're going to hear something soon here in the next 72, 48 hours, something like that. From Keona Wilhite, the three-star, four-star edge out of South Point Catholic for 2024. He's a guy who was committed to Arizona for a long time, and he decommitted from them. And we've just been kind of waiting to see what he was going to end up doing. I've got a crystal ball in for him, and I think we're going to have some good news on the recruiting front here in the next uh, 48, 72, maybe 96 hours. Scott, there's uh, two recruiting seasons, and I think people still are adjusting to it, but uh, you've got the high school recruits, and the portal's going to be busy in the offseason. Yes, absolutely busy. I mean, Washington's going to take 10 to 15 guys in the recruit in the portal. I mean, you're going to see some movement from the guys off of the roster. They're going to leave, whether they're going to leave early for the NFL or they're going to just look for other opportunities. And Washington's going to replace those guys with some guys from from the portal. And Washington is going to be really heavy players in the portal. They've already got guys calling them to, you know, camps calling them. And they're telling, well, we can't talk to you guys until it's time. But, 
you know, give us a call when once you're in the portal and then we can talk. So uh, lots of stuff that's going to happen here over the next, um, you know, six to eight weeks as we get closer to signing day, um, which is in mid-December for the high school kids. And then um, uh, when you talk about portal guys, they they can start putting their names in. I think, it, I, I, you know, I don't have the exact date. Is it December 1st? It's something like that. Yeah, but it's something like that. Whatever it is, December 1st through the through mid-January, I think, is when guys can enter into the portal and sign with schools. So uh, Washington wants all their portal guys in for January so they can be in here in time for the start of winter quarter as well as the start of winter conditioning. And and I think you'll see a lot of movement when, when we get to December. Is Courtney Morgan the hottest girl in the bar when it comes to the uh, transfer portal right now? Everybody's I, hitting on him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people I think his job got made very easy with what <clears throat> excuse me, I when I say very easy, I mean relative to what it normally is. But uh, you know, I mean he's a guy who um almost has to be the gatekeeper and rather than the uh you know, just calling kids. Now it's people calling him and saying, Hey, yeah. I wanna be part of what you guys have going on there and, and he's like, Yeah, okay, let's talk and, and see where things go. So um yeah, Courtney Morgan, um you know, I, I don't want to say his job is easier, but it definitely got made easier by what Washington did on Saturday. Well, no, I mean, it just seems like instead of having to go in and talk to the girls, you got to make your choice. You know, which pretty girl do we want to let in the door? You know, yeah. so, you know, you can be selective. But he Scott also wanted to ask you, I don't know if you remember or not, but do you remember the first time Michael Penix's names got brought up as a possible transfer to Washington in your thought? Because I remember I was thinking, OK, that's interesting. And I didn't think that was that big of a deal. Uh, yeah, I do remember that. And I was like, huh, okay. And then I found out that he played for, uh, Kalen DeBoer and I was like, well, what about Jake Hayner? Because there's, were some people that were reporting that Hayner was already on his way to Washington. Yeah. And I remember, and I remember calling Jake Hayner and he was like, yeah, it's not a done deal yet. Who's reporting that? <laughs> so, so he's like, I can't get in right now academically. I gotta, I've got, I've got to take some other classes. So he ended up just sticking at Fresno State. But when I, I remember when Michael Penix came up, you know, we were like, huh, that's interesting. When when he said that he was going to commit to Washington, I was like, oh, you know, that'd be a nice guy to throw in the mix with Dylan Morris and and uh, and Sam Heward and, and just kind of see who ends up winning out. You know, the guy is, is talented, but he was always injured. So, you know, I didn't think that much of it. Um, and then, um, you know, we saw him in spring ball and it was like, OK, you know, he's got some stuff, whatever. And fall camp, he looked OK. And then all of a sudden he just blows up on the, on the, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the football field because we, we just were like, wow, where did that come from? And he ended up staying healthy and we, we've seen what Michael Penix can be. So just because a guy is injured or because a guy doesn't put up big stats at one school doesn't mean it can't happen at another school. So and, and just Scott, keep if you that go, in mind. If you go back, it was a matter of Hainer was coming. He was coming. The problem was, was they're on a different scholastic schedule and he couldn't get cleared with his academics to get into UW for spring football. He wouldn't have been able to get here until July. And that's why he decided to stay at Fresno State and they pivoted to Michael Penix. I mean, it was really close to Hainer instead of Penix. Yep. That's just how it works, man. Guys, I'll I'll, I'm going to offer a little bit more perspective on this on on the portal stuff, because I think it's really important for people to understand how this staff operates. The reason Michael Penix even ended up at Indiana in the first place and eventually ended up getting connected to Kalen DeBoer was because of the relationship that he had with Nick Sheridan. And the reason the relationship with Nick Sheridan 
ended up being pivotal for Penix is that Penix was committed to Tennessee out of high school for almost two years. And right, basically, I think he's told the story of like two weeks to go before signing day, Tennessee blows out their coach, a whole new coaching staff comes in. They're like, oh yeah, we already have our guy. And so basically they left him to twist in the wind. Well, his, Penix went back to Sheridan because him and Sheridan had a great relationship and Sheridan was at Indiana and Sheridan's the one that recruited Penix to Indiana. And then he got connected with the board, I think the following season, the rest is history. So it's really important to understand, guys, this staff, they recruit for the long haul. They recruit the relationships. Yep. I understand there's a lot of fans frustration that guys aren't immediately committing to Washington after a win like beating Oregon, for instance. But these things are about relationships. They take a lot of time. And what happens is, whether you're talking about a Penix, look at Jeremy Bernard, for instance. They let him go to be able to do what he wanted to do at Michigan State. There was absolutely no upside to try to keep him at Washington if he was unhappy. So they cut him loose. Well, guess what? That relationship existed, and they were able to come back on it when he decided to go back in the portal after his – season at Michigan state and he came back to Washington and the rest is history. These guys will have so many players that they have connections to at other schools that have blown up and become big time and will want to be a part of this program in Washington right now. And all these guys have created these relationships. They've cultivated them. Yep. I'm not saying that they've kept in touch with them because that wouldn't be legal, but, but bottom line is these guys know who the staffs are who are legitimate and genuine and who who treated them the right way during the process. And this Washington staff is one of those types of staffs out there. When you combine that with what's going on culturally, what's going on on the field, it's going to be one of those things, like Scott said, and Courtney Morgan is going to be the the happiest guy out there because he's going to have people banging down his door. Scott Eklund, what's over under on what time you get home on? uh, on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm hoping 1.30, but I'm thinking 2. Yeah, I got 2.15 for you. How about you, Chris Fetters? It'll be later, whatever it is. I'm typically on those nights, I'm usually the last guy out the door. So what ta- what I live time with will, it. What time will you get up Sunday morning, Scott? Um, Probably about 7, somewhere right. around 7. Right. But I, I won't get to sleep right away because I'm usually not able to just walk in the door and fall right asleep. But, uh, yeah, something like something like seven, probably somewhere around there. All right, wrap it up, Chris Fetter. Seven thirty start tonight under the LED lightings. Cody Pickett, Reggie Williams is who I'm most look forward looking to seeing tonight. But uh, wrap it up. Yeah, the Hall of Fame. That'll be fun to see. I again, super excited to see how these new look uniforms from Adidas are gonna uh, shine under the lights with the with the new chrome purple helmets. I think that's gonna be fantastic. Um, I do. Whether it's, again, subconsciously, psychologically, I do expect maybe a slight letdown to start this game tonight against Arizona State. I think Arizona State's going to be fired up. They've got basically nothing to lose at this point. Kenny Dillingham is probably going to throw out the kitchen sink at Washington and try to see what they can do. But again, with their troubles on the offensive line, I I, I have such a hard time seeing them hold up over time against this Washington unit. And we all know what Michael Penix can do with that offense. Even if they don't have a Jalen McMillan, even if they don't have a Jeremy Bernard, they are so effective. We saw Giles Jackson come in first game of the season against Oregon and just play like he hasn't 
like he hasn't missed a beat. Yep. And so it's amazing how these guys can come in and just fill in and be real productive and effective guys for the Huskies right now. That's just part of their culture. So again, yep. I, I expect a big win. Uh, I expect them to continue to kind of, you know, as you said in your prediction, Kim, the train is going to keep rolling and we'll go from there. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Just, I, you know, echo a lot of what Chris said. I think why I personally think Washington gets out to a faster start than Chris does, but um, I think you'll see a lot of backups in the game in uh, the late third, fourth and through the fourth quarter. Um, I think Michael Penix gets 400, 400 yards. I think he gets, you know, four or five touchdowns. I think Romo Odunze could have somewhere close to 200 yards receiving. I think they're going to throw the ball. I think we're going to see Denzel Boston make some catches today. I think Giles Jackson will get in the game. I don't think we'll see Jalen McMillan or Jeremy Bernard uh, today. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what this what this defense can do um, against a team that you know is just really lacking up front. Watch watch Oregon State or Oregon State Arizona State will will be able to throw the ball all over the place and. <laughs> It'll be frustrating as heck, but I just think I just think Washington will be able to get after Trenton Bourget. Um, I think they're going to be able to, uh, you know, really really stuff what Arizona State is trying to do. Scadaboo is a is a good runner, but I I don't think you know what they're going to be able to do up front. I think Washington, as long as Thule is is able to go and and be healthy and and Ulamu Ale and and all those interior guys, Jacob Bandis, Fatui Tuatele. I think you're going to see a, a really strong performance for this team. I, I had it. I believe it was 51-17. I don't have it in front of me what I predicted, but it's 51-17, I think, is what I predicted. And and I'm holding true to that. I think Washington's going to get out to a real fast start and then coast the rest of the way in the second quarter, get a lot of reps for some of those guys who are who who need reps but uh, don't get as much during the games. Yeah, uh, we're in the middle of a special, special season. You know, we're officially halfway through now. But, uh, you know, if you haven't had a chance to get out to see Michael Penix in person, I'm sure there's a lot of tickets available tonight. Take your kids. You'll remember the time, you know, your kids say to you, hey, remember when we went and saw Michael Penix? Well, tonight's probably a good opportunity because the other few remaining home games, they're going to be tough tickets to come by with Utah and uh, Washington State is that they got three home games left? Arizona State, Utah. Yes, and, correct. Yeah, yep. they've got three, but the Utah three, and Washington three home State. games, three away games. Yeah, so it's going to be a tough ticket to get. So, anyways, also just a reminder: basketball is just right around the corner too. So we'll have more on that later. So, hey, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs! <laughs> The time has come for drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.